Welcome. You may be a member at Rochester Church of Christ, or you may follow us regularly online, or you may have been referred to this by a friend. Either way, we're glad you're here. This is Adam Hill, Minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ, and I hope that this message will speak into your life with the good news about Jesus. Remain standing, church, as we read our scripture for today. It comes from Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you are not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping... He took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Go ahead and be seated. So today is the last series in a sermon series that Adam has called Created For. There are seven topics in the Created For series as we look through the creation narrative. Yes, Adam, we see what you did there. <laughs> and we saw that it was good. Do you see what I did there? <laughs> In looking through the creation narratives and asking the question, what did God create us for? Adam has guided us through a series of topics. We might have been able to choose more than seven. We might have been able to choose less than seven. But these topics are part of why we're made, what God has intended for us as humanity in this, in this place. Adam led us through image bearing, through influence, through work, through rest. And then the last two weeks, Adam preached about, uh, about trust and intimacy. And in many ways, the topic for today, which is vulnerability, that topic is kind of the flip side of the coin of both trust and intimacy. Unlike the rhythm of creation, however, the seventh topic in this series will not be one of rest. This topic is challenging. And I mean not to back away from that. But I have to tell you guys, I'm fired up to preach today. <laughs> I'm not one of those people that gets super uh, animated. But this topic is important. It's critically important for us to understand vulnerability and what God has in store for us about that. I do want to give a warning. I am going to mention abuse a couple of times during the sermon. We're not going to dig into it. We're not going to talk about it at any in-depth level, but I do want you to know that I'm going to mention it a couple of times, just so that you know it's coming and that it's not going to get too in-depth. 
We're going to explore uh, a lot of topics around vulnerability, but one of the, uh, there's a couple of terms that I'm going to use that I want to make sure that we have a definition for. Uh, preachers love to do these things where we make up words, so I think I've made up one. Two of them, actually. Uh, we're gonna, the two words are pre-tree and post-tree. All right? So pre-tree is the way that God made things from the beginning up to the point of the events. You know the events. Eve and Adam eat from the tree that they were not supposed to eat from. Adam lied to God. And then God provided better clothes for the humans than what they were able to create for themselves. And then we have the post-tree world, which is what we live in. So pre-tree and post-tree. So as I use those terms, you know what I mean. And after the sermon, we can forget about those terms because I created them anyway, right? So we now live in the post-tree world. Let's start off with this question. What is vulnerability? Here's what I mean by vulnerability. Vulnerability is the capacity for us to be hurt, right? There's risk that's involved. So when we have a relationship with a person, any type of relationship, it could be a spouse, it could be a friend, it could be a coworker, a boss, a parent, any and every relationship, every relationship has the potential for the other person to hurt us or to let us down, or to fail us in some way or the other. And if we're being fair, we also have to acknowledge every relationship has the possibility for me to do that for you as well, okay? Vulnerability is the capacity for us to be hurt. So that's why I said this is the flip side of both trust and intimacy, because vulnerability just comes along with every relationship, right? Uh, a flippant example to make the point. Um, Adam kindly asked, hey, do you want me to make some slides for you for the sermon? And I said, sure, that would be great. It took something off of my plate. I was out of town, didn't have the capacity to do that anyway. I was happy for him to do it. Adam could have conceivably, without my knowledge, inserted a slide that just showed a picture of poop on the screen. Okay? This is something Adam could have done. It was a risk that was involved, right? And then he would have left me to clean up the mess up here on stage with, uh, why is that up there? Now, because Adam and I have history together, right? I have some trust for him. Adam and I have shared a lot. I think we've, we have intimacy with one another. And because of those things, I think the risk is a little bit less, right? So I decided to trust Adam with those things. Risk comes along with every single relationship, all right? I want to acknowledge something. This is a core theological belief that's kind of one of the surface foundations of this whole sermon. I want to say this explicitly just to make sure that it's out there. I believe love by its very nature heals. So as we share love with one another, it provides healing. And here's the most beautiful part of it all. It makes me so happy. Love not only heals you when I give you love, love heals me as I give love. So it's mutually beneficial to both of us. So I believe that God created the world for love. And as we show love to one another, it provides healing for the world. And if there's common ground that we can all find today, I think we can all agree the world needs healing. And God calls us to be part of that. 
But I believe God created the world out of that wonderful dance of relationship that is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And that dance of, of their relationship with one another, the fancy term for that is perichoresis, if you want it. If you want to forget it, that's fine too. There's that wonderful dance of relationship inside the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They're all vulnerable with one another. There is the capacity that each of them could let one another down. But the beautiful union of the Trinity is only possible because of the vulnerability that goes along with it. And God created the world with the same capacity, the capacity to hurt, the capacity to let one another down. And so what this whole vulnerability thing boils down to is the fact that we have choice. We have free will. Free will gives us the capacity to hurt one another, and that's why vulnerability is there. We can choose love, but we can also choose to hurt other things. And some of you, likely a very good number of you, would describe yourselves as a person who has trust issues. And here's the thing about people who have trust issues. There's <laughs> a good reason for it. People who have trust issues have been cheated on, have been lied about, have been left behind, have been left unseen, they've been denied dignity, they've been underutilized, they've been underprivileged, and are victims of abuse. Trust issues are a real thing because people hurt one another. It's part of the fallen world, the post-tree world that we live in. People hurt one another. And you might be saying some form inside your mind as you're running your own dialogue, listening to the sermon. You might be having some form of, see what vulnerability gets you? Vulnerability gets you hurt. Vulnerability gives you all those things. And I want to avoid that. But yes, church, I am asking you to be vulnerable, even though hurt is going to happen. I'm asking you to have the courage to be vulnerable, even though it's going to hurt. And this sermon ought to make you squirm a little bit because humans are not made to be alone. We are designed to be in relationship with one another. So remember the rhythm of creation. Every day the text says God created for that day and at the end of it God looked and saw that it was and 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 then God looked and saw that it was, here's the tricky part, very good. <laughs> Five goods, and then the sixth day was very good, and that was the day the humans were made. So we get to our text for today, and it says, The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It's not good for Adam to be alone. It's not good for Eve to be alone. I think if God had created Eve first, God would have said, it's not good for Eve to be alone, and he would have created Adam for her. It's not good for me to be alone. It's not good for you to be alone. Dawn, it's not good for you to be alone. David, not good for you to be alone. Rick, Diane, I told my kids I wasn't going to say any embarrassing stories about them, but here's your name mentioned. Sophie and Sawyer, it's not good for you to be alone. It's not good for any of us to be alone, and we, all of us, I think, at some point in our lives fall into that trap of, I've been hurt so much that I'm just going to choose to back off of that a little bit and be alone. Just as out of a sense of, I've been hurt. 
it is not good for us to call to be alone. Love, by its very nature, heals, as I said before. It heals both us and those we love. So here's an example to make that point. When we have a relationship and love exists there, it starts the healing process just because the, the love thing exists. So I love the ministry partners that this church has. Absolutely love them. I think about DRAW. I had the opportunity, DRAW is disaster relief at work. It's an organization that responds to natural disasters and helps people at their really crummiest times of life, right? I remember serving in Warren when there were those floods and I got to go down to Houston and serve after a hurricane that was there. And I remember all of the sights and the smells, mm, the smells and the names of the people, Brayton, do you remember you, me, John, and a fourth person who I can't even remember? We carried that, that nasty mattress that was soaked with the wet, you know what, water out to the curb, right? You don't forget those things, but I don't forget also standing in a circle and praying over the people that we helped. And all we got to do was go into some people's lives for three hours at a time, help them get some of their basic stuff done and move on to the next place. But because I have a relationship, I care about that. And that relationships makes all the difference. Like if I heard about a, a different organization that does all the same things as Draw does, but I did not know them, I would think, hey, that's pretty cool, but I probably wouldn't be all that motivated to help them. But because I know draw, and because I love the people that are involved in the experience, I am willing to help out with that in a different way because of that relationship. Similarly, I could say the same kinds of things with Micah 6. I love what Micah 6 community in Pontiac does. So Bethany and Coleman and Dylan and the ways that they lead, the things that they do with their neighborhoods, it is beautiful, it's wonderful, I love them, but it only happens because of relationships. Kibo is an interesting one. I have not personally been to Uganda to see what Kibo does for myself. But I have a relationship with it anyway because I have seen what they do. I know people who have been there. And so it's kind of a secondhand relationship, the reason that I love Uganda. But relationships are the start to healing things, right? When we have a relationship, we care about things. There's a man at work uh, that I work with. And his life is on the skids right now. Uh, and I check in with him about once a week and we talk in the morning and talk about how things are going with his life. He tells me stories. Sometimes those stories are wins. Sometimes those stories are losses. And truthfully, part of the reason that his life is on the skids is because he's made some poor choices. And he also has a spouse that is making things that are really difficult for him. And he's trying to pick himself up and do the next right thing and to love on his, kid, his kids relentlessly. The only reason that he and I get to share that with one another is because of a relationship, right? I asked him one day, how are you doing? And it wasn't one of those cursory, how are you doing? You know, it was one of those you look the person in the eye. And he chose, for whatever reason, to answer honestly. And because of that, we have a connection and there's healing that happens that, that go through there because of relationships. I believe that relationships healing other people is why Jesus told us that we need to love our enemies. Oh yeah, sure, we should ask God to act, to be present in helping with things. I think there's something else happening there. When we pray for our enemies, we start to, uh, start to care for them. We start wanting their well-being. 
So as we pray for them, we start developing this relationship of caring. And honestly, it kind of messes me up a little bit. I'm a little bit like that lawyer that said, yeah, Jesus, but who's my neighbor? You know, where it's a little bit easier to sit in my hatred than to actually confront it and do something about it. So when Jesus says, pray for your enemies, I think there's, there's something really important that's happening there. Relationships are impossible to have without vulnerability. Vulnerability is just 100% connected. The Venn diagram covers relationships 100% fully. And the sad truth is we tend to hurt those that are closest to us. It just happens. Beth and I have now been married for 22 years, and I don't mind standing here and telling you we have hurt one another in those 22 years. That's not a revolutionary statement, right? If you have a relationship with somebody that long, hurt is going to happen at some level. But we don't have to come up with generic examples to, to cover that. There's one right in the text. So chapter 3, when God confronts Adam in the garden after the sin, God says to Adam, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Adam's response the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Boy, Adam was so quick to throw Eve under the bus. The person that just the previous chapter, he had said, that person completes me. We're able to do some stuff together. No, it was the woman. It was the woman, she gave me fruit to eat and so I ate of it, right? Adam hurt the person that was closest to him. We tend to do that. It's scary to be vulnerable. It is. Every one of us, it's scary to be vulnerable. If you go through a bad breakup, even if nobody did anything wrong, if you go through a bad breakup, it's hard to, get, to gather up the courage to start again. If a friendship goes sour, someone hurts you, it's hard to commit yourself to the work of getting into another friendship. I had a friendship with somebody that was critically important to me. And that friendship, just as things happened, just kind of died over time. Nobody did anything wrong. But in retrospect, I look back on it now, and I had the hardest time trying for another friendship because I felt hurt out of that, right? When we get hurt, it makes us a little bit gun shy. And sometimes we let other people down. We feel like we are the problems, and maybe sometimes we stay away from relationships because we think we might poison things. That's a truth as well. So we get into these places where out of a sense of self-preservation, we do everything we can to avoid those risks again, and we stay away from those relationships. And I'm here to ask you, commit yourself to it again. Have the courage to jump into those relationships again. But let's ask this question. Why did God choose to include vulnerability in creation? Remember, vulnerability is not just a post-tree thing. Vulnerability was a pre-tree thing. Why did God choose to put vulnerability into creation? From the very beginning, even Adam had the opportunity to choose against God. They had the opportunity to bring rebellion into the world. That was there from the very beginning of creation. God gave humanity the capacity to choose good or not good. 
They could have rebelled or aligned themselves. God allows us to choose good, and he allows us to choose not good as well. Think about it. We are the only part of creation that that can act outside of God's purposes for it. So the leaf, the cloud, the insect, the river, the stone, the cheetah, the caterpillar, the rose bush, gravity itself, the laws of nature, everything does what God designed it to do. God allows us the choice. And that feels like a really heady, um, boy, I feel really good about us kind of thing. It might puff us up or make us a little bit prideful. What do we do with vulnerability? Is it possible that maybe God just had to include vulnerability as a necessary evil into creation? I wrestle, why is vulnerability there? Maybe God just had to put it in, but I don't find this explanation really very satisfactory. This doesn't seem to line up. And honestly, sometimes when I'm mad at God, I like to throw that in his face, and it goes a little bit like this. You're getting what you ask for, God. You gave us free will. Have you ever thought that to God before? I'm being vulnerable before you. That's one of my go-to places with God, and it's not fair to God. I hope this part of the sermon isn't overly philosophic or overly esoteric because I think it's really important for us to wrestle with why did God give us choice? Why did God give us the capacity to hurt one another and to be hurt by other people? I just can't reconcile the idea that God just had to put the capacity to choose into creation. I don't find that to be helpful. I believe it was deliberate. Besides, Scripture says that God looked at creation and said that it was good. And I'm going to believe that God creates something a little better than I do. Every single thing that I've ever done, that I've ever made, I've looked at and thought, yeah, that could be done a little bit better. Maybe done better by me, but certainly maybe by somebody else, right? But I believe God made creation the way God wanted to from the very beginning. I think God chose to put vulnerability into creation. And maybe, perhaps, vulnerability is not such a bad thing. Maybe vulnerability is actually good for us. Vulnerability allows us to go deeper with people. It allows us to get closer to one another. It is a tool that allows us to go deeper in relationships. I've stated my premise earlier that God created the world out of that Trinitarian love, right? God created out of love, but God created also for love so that each of us would be able to share love and receive love in return. But even more, I think that God created out of the capacity for us to share love with the world around us. Not just so that we and ourselves can make ourselves better, but this is God's tool for recreating the world around us, to restore it back to the good of creation. So as we share love with one another, we're actually restoring the world back and we're participating with God in the process of recreating the world. We cannot show God's love to others without being vulnerable. This is the moment in the sermon where the preacher thinks it's so good that the preacher is going to repeat it. We cannot show God's love to others without being vulnerable. Amen. And I believe that vulnerability is good. 
I believe that if you've been on a few revelations around the sun, you might need a reminder from time to time that the risk is worth the reward. Yes, you could get hurt in this whole trust and intimacy thing. And if I'm speaking truth, I need to acknowledge that it's pretty inevitable that you will get hurt and maybe hurt really deeply. And I'm asking you to be vulnerable in any way. It is still worth it. And this is a hard word. This is a challenging word. But I haven't gotten to the good part yet. I haven't gotten to the part that really has me fired up. God chose vulnerability too. This really is the best part of the sermon. (laughs) God gave humans the capacity to choose. And in giving us the capacity to choose, God exposed God's self to the possibility that we would reject. That means God was vulnerable. So here's an example. I think I make a really good pico de gallo. Uh, and we're entering into that season where the, the, where the uh, ingredients are super fresh and it's so good. I think I make great pico de gallo. And it gets really good at the end of the summer when the corn starts coming in. You can put fresh corn in it. Oh, it's so good. So what happens if I make pico de gallo and I share it with somebody? Hey, Lenny, do you want some pico de gallo? And Lenny has some. And I see her take a chip and eat some of the pico de gallo. And I say to Lenny, hey, what did you think of it? Uh-oh, I'm vulnerable. <laughs> She could say, oh, that's so bad. That's so gross. This is what God did with us. God gave us creation and allowed us the opportunity to say, I don't buy in. The good of creation, I don't want to do it. That's rejection to God. God made God's self vulnerable. God chose vulnerability, and it is the most beautiful thing in the world. The truth blows my mind and warms my heart at the same time. So yes, vulnerability is a hard ask. I know there's people in the room whose reaction is some form of, no, no way, I can't do it again. I don't have that kind of courage. I've been hurt before. But I want you to hear the good news today. The good news is this. God is not asking you to do anything that God has not done before. Every single person that is born in the world, God makes God's self vulnerable because that person can choose to go against God's ways. So if you're one of those that I've mentioned before, those who for good reasons have trust issues, square up to the truth that God remains vulnerable despite rejection and heartache. That truth is certainly no cure-all. It's not gonna fix everything. It's not gonna instantly give you courage to try again. It won't make the pain away, but somehow, Something about God being vulnerable right alongside of us is just comfort. Square up to that truth. God is vulnerable too. I'm going to make a statement that I don't know if it's controversial or not. I'm going to make it anyway. Um, And if you want to talk to me, I'll be out in the lobby afterwards. We can dialogue. It'll be great. I believe God knew that Adam and Eve would rebel. I think God knew it from the very beginning. I don't think scripture addresses this issue, and if it does, please show me in the, in the lobby. But I think God knew that Eve and Adam were going to say, no, we're going to do it our way. And if that's true, it makes, it makes the vulnerability thing even more beautiful. God chose vulnerability even though God knew 
humanity was going to go against God's ways. He chose to love anyway, even though God chose to be vulnerable. That same God that is larger than the entire universe, the God that, that predated time itself, all of his metaphors just fall short. That same God, that God who had no need to be subject to disappointment whatsoever, became vulnerable right, right alongside creation itself. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. So praise God. Praise God for that kind of love that God has shown to humanity. May we be part of God's very good purposes and partner with God in the recreation of the world. Adam asked me to give some tangible advice at the end. So we'll do that in the next couple of minutes here. I want you to remember that every single person that you see is broken and in progress. Um, I might have started with a reminder that you yourself are broken in progress, but let's take that as a given, right? Everybody you see is broken and in, and in progress. So you might be able to have some compassion on them. And it may even, if I see myself an agent, as an agent of God's love for the world, might motivate me to do some work in someone's life as well. I'd encourage you to practice vulnerability with people. Um, remember, practice. Vulnerability doesn't necessarily come easily. We can get better at the thing, right? So as we practice it, we might get better at it. But there's also the dual meaning of the word practice. We can make things a lifelong practice, something that our lives are about, a habit that we do. Brene Brown is a professor and researcher who's made a study of shame and vulnerability as her life's work. And her word to describe vulnerability is wholehearted. And the wholehearted is W-H-O-L-E, hearted. It means complete, that there's nothing that's being held back. So if I'm in a relationship with somebody, but there's things that I'm not engaging with, I'm not fully and completely present with that, right? The opposite is wholehearted. I am fully engaged, right? When we're vulnerable with people, we are wholehearted. And I'd encourage you to do some reading with her. She does some wonderful stuff. Vulnerability does not necessarily mean finding strangers and telling them your most vulnerable, deepest, darkest secret. That's also some good news. Um, sometimes vulnerability is just a stance that we take with people. Um, people who are vulnerable tend to apologize more and apologize sincerely. People who are vulnerable listen more than they speak. People who are vulnerable uh, value the opinions of other people, genuinely value them. They speak truth and are honest. They're genuinely interested in pursuing the well-being of others. Being vulnerable with people, there's a lot of creativity that's involved in that as well. I'd like to give you a tangible example. Um, there's a, a guy that I've come to admire. His name is Flip Rodriguez. Uh, he competes um, as an athlete on American Ninja Warrior. Flip Rodriguez, uh, for the first three or four seasons he performed, he actually performed with that mask over his face, so it would cover his whole face. This picture is just kind of showing both sides of him. Uh, he would perform for three or four years with a mask covering his face, and in the few interviews that he did, he would say, well, I wear the mask to cover my emotions. I don't want, CP I don't want people to see what I'm thinking out on the stage. Um, but after three or four seasons, he decided to reveal why he wears the mask. And that is that for many years, as a, as a boy, his father sexually abused him. And because of his own shame, he had to find some way to handle 
that shame. And so he put this mask over his face as a way to hide from it. But he decided to put that out there and to let people see to be metaphorically naked in front of the world and allow them to see what it was that made him ashamed. And his phrase is, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because when we face those things that are difficult for us, that's when we're able to experience healing. That's when we're able to impact other people's lives and benefit from that dual-sided healing that we've talked about. Kenny, go ahead and bring your team up. I'd encourage you to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Vulnerability is not easy. It does require courage. It takes a lot to commit to. But I want to encourage you to do that. So those who practice vulnerability know that their life is part of a bigger story, God's bigger story to be precise. Wholehearted people see their life as part of God's redemptive work in the world. It gives us courage to be open and vulnerable. And when we harden ourselves and try and protect ourselves at all costs, we make ourselves the center of the story. And that's simply not right. As beings created in God's image, in all things, our lives should point to the God who made us. The God that gives us purpose, the God who gives us the capacity to love with reckless freedom. That's the God whose image we bear. May God give us the strength and the creativity as we embrace vulnerability. We sincerely thank you for listening and pray that you were blessed today. To learn more about Rochester Church of Christ, to support our ministry, or to contact us with any prayer needs you may have, head over to www.rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and chosen.